The revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. We'll be bringing you the latest in cyber news and culture as long as we're able to. You can hear us on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. In a major win for rideshare companies, California voters in November passed Proposition 22, a controversial ballot measure that exempts companies such as Uber and Lyft from being forced to classify their workers as employees. The two companies spent a record $200 million to pass Prop 22, the law intended to derail AB5, the 2020 rule that provided all independent contractors, including Lyft and Uber drivers, increased worker protections and employee status. With us today to talk about the proposition and its ramifications on the gig economy is Nicole Moore, spokesperson for Rideshare Drivers United. She spoke with Digital Village's Leilani Albano. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. This November, Uber and Lyft won passage of Prop 22. What kind of impact will this have on rideshare drivers? It's a horrible, draconian measure to make drivers and delivery workers in California, second-class workers. That's all it is. It exempts the companies from giving us any rights under the basic labor law. It exempts them from paying a lot of different payroll taxes and that sort of thing that creates a safety net for drivers. It is horrible. And that leads me to the next question. How did this happen considering that voters just passed AB5 last September? Well, AB5 passed in the legislature, and it was a fix for the fact that many employers are misclassifying employees as independent contractors in order to not have to pay taxes or be uh, subject to labor law such as minimum wage, paying into unemployment insurance, workers' comp, all those things that come with most jobs. AB5 is not a radical law. It's basically a employment test. You know, it's called the ABC test. And it's actually the test that's existed in many states for a long time. And in California, we were using a different test called the Borella test, which was a little bit more vague. So this is really the state legislature saying, hey, We need to do better as a state and make sure that people who are working as employees are actually covered by basic labor law and protected with employee safety net. So why do you think so many Californians had voted for Prop 22? The people who are against Prop 22 say that there was voter deception involved. Do you agree? Absolutely. I talked to so many friends. So they saw Prop 22. They're like, wow, this is great. I'm supposed to vote yes for this, right? And I said, why would you think that? Well, you know, I saw a single mom on TV. You know, she needs uh, an extra job just to pay the rent. And it seems like this is going to help you guys, right? I said, well, if you think that exempting companies from basic labor law has ever helped a worker, yeah, but it's not. It's going to hurt us. It seems like there wasn't much political will uh, for legislators to be enforcing AB5. Well, that actually was true on January 1st. 
on February 1st, we started as drivers filing wage claims against the state saying these companies owe us tens of thousands of dollars. So 5,000 drivers filed for $1.3 billion in wage claims. Half of that is damages. The other half is straight pay and expense reimbursement. So it's at that point that the labor commissioner was like, oh, my gosh, you know, we've had bad employers before, but these are two companies that owe just 5,000 people $1.3 billion, and they took on that case. Of course, they challenged it. Second judge found that absolutely they were violating the law and that the injunction attorney in general had levied against them stood. That whole thing was about to come to fruition this month, except the companies deceived the voters and said, actually, vote for 22, that's going to help drivers. Describe the typical rideshare driver. So I would say the majority of miles driven are full-time drivers, people who have quit other jobs or been kicked out of the economy and they're doing Lyft and Uber full-time. It is not just a part-time job. And for most of us who do it part-time, it's to fill a significant income gap so we can actually pay the rent and stuff like that. It's not just like, oh, I need some beer money. Let me go take a few rides. And in terms of the demographic, So the majority of us are people of color and immigrants, 70% of the workforce. How does a change in their employee status affect their conditions? Moving from where we were under AB5, where we have all the rights of employees in California, all basic labor law applies to us, to where we are under 22, is horrendous. Basic labor law will cover us from the time we turn on our app to the time we turn it off. During that period of time, we should be making at least minimum wage, which in our state is, is approaching $15 an hour, sometimes more than that in some cases. Right now, the companies only have to pay us under Prop 22 for the time that we're picking up passengers or have a passenger in the car with us. That might seem to make sense, except they have complete control over how often we get those rides. Most of us don't have people in our car 40% of the time. And the more drivers that they put on the road, the longer time we have without passengers in our car. Berkeley Labor Center did a study on it. It's less than $6 an hour when you consider occupancy rate and that kind of thing. Now, in terms of this third category, Prop 22 will create a so-called third category of workers. Is this category creating an advantage for workers? So absolutely not. What we have in our country is basically independent contracting versus employment. Employment is where you get the basic rights, things like minimum wage, uh, some basic health benefits, family leave, workers' compensation, unemployment if you get knocked off the job. Right? These are just basic things at a low bar. If you're an independent contractor, you don't get any of that. But you're supposed to have the ability to um, choose a contract or not, build your own business, be like a, an owner of a business. So what the companies are saying, we need some place in between independent contractor status and employment that will be a third category basically to help with the innovation and amazing work 
that Lyft and Uber, DoorDash are doing by having these tech platform-based gig jobs. So they say the reason to do that is for the flexibility that these platforms provide workers, that you can just turn on the app anytime you want, get work, and turn it off whenever you want. I don't see how ride hail through a platform like Lyft or Uber is innovative. I mean, I work in healthcare. In the old days, we wrote down schedule on a piece of paper. Now we do it through the computer uh, scheduling. And you know what? The truth is we could be scheduled through an app like Lyft and Uber does for RideHeal, the same as any other worker. Teachers could be you know, deployed via app. Um, construction workers, restaurant workers, we could all be deployed by app. Does that make the, the way that we do the work super innovative? No. But what it does allow is these companies are trying to buy up this space and say that, that this third category of labor somehow shouldn't have to be subject to basic labor law. So is it they still don't have full employee status, and yet they mm-hmm. have some perks with the company? Is that what the third category is, if you can summarize it? So in Prop 22, for instance, there's a few um, things built in there, like they're saying they're going to reimburse people for miles, 30 cents a mile. Well, you know, under IRS, mileage for business is 58 cents a mile. So it's about half what uh, a regular employee would get for mileage put on the car. If you work certain hours to help cover your health care, but it's not the same as employment. The third category is just made up. It's, it's a way for companies create a whole second-class worker category. Not only does Prop 22 impact workers' conditions, it also makes it difficult for California legislators to reverse the measure. Why were they so successful in terms of locking down such a stringent requirement? I mean, it was the brainchild of Lyft over DoorDash, right? How many people knew that they were voting for seventh-eighths of the legislature would be required to make any changes to the law? I doubt anybody really thought about that who voted yes. That upends the democratic process for good policy around labor. So there's a fear that tech companies will be motivated by the Prop 22 win to further attack workers' rights and possibly push for more contract labor. Your thoughts? Yeah, the companies are working really hard to overcome uh, what for them is their stop sign against complete unabridged profit. So they're moving Prop 22-type campaigns in many states. The truth is, though, they're also getting huge pushback in the courts, from legislatures, from drivers and delivery workers all over the country and, honestly, all over the world. This is not something that a lot of people welcome. When somebody's paying me $10 to take them across town and I'm only getting $3 of that, that's not a good model for labor in our country. And rideshare drivers say Prop 22 also presents some real challenges for workers during COVID. How draconian is it to take away some basic protections during a very vulnerable period in our lives? It's a horrible situation. I know drivers who haven't been able to get unemployment because it takes so long because of the misclassification issue and have been forced to go back to work under unsafe conditions. 
I know a couple of drivers in California who died from COVID because they were forced to go back to work because there wasn't a safety net for folks. Nor was there the requirement on the company to provide things like, like a barrier between the front and back seat. Drivers are paying out of pocket, not just for the upkeep of their car, gas, oil, maintenance, but they're also paying for their own PPE, their own dividers. I mean, Lyft even has a website up where you can buy PPE and dividers from them, $150 for a barrier between the front and back seat. And the demand for ride is are so low, and now we're being asked to pay for our own PPE. What I can tell you is, I mean, there's a lot of turnover in the industry anyway. But right now, drivers are really looking at each other saying, you know, I'd be better off getting a part-time job at McDonald's. At least I drive, park my car, and I don't have a ton of expenses. So gig workers have been characterized by some labor unions as being unorganizable. Do you feel that that's true? Absolutely not. I think because of the nature of the job where we don't have a work site, where we might run into a driver occasionally, but like we don't eat at the same lunch tables or have the same shifts or check in at the same time clock, right? So I think, you know, in the traditional models of labor organizing, it might seem like it would be hard to organize us. But the truth is, wherever drivers gather, the car washes or airports, we're talking to each other and we're organizing. And there's, you know, Rights for Drivers United is completely independent. I mean, we, we started in the parking lot of LAX. And we've also built an app that is basically for those of us who are committed to organizing other drivers where we can keep track of people, reach out to people, that sort of thing. We've found each other in Facebook groups. We've found each other, you know, in in other kinds of social groups. That's how 19,000 drivers found each other. What has been the reaction of some of the larger unions to the organizing efforts of rideshare workers? I would say that the labor movement, established labor unions, have a responsibility to helping groups like ours organize. We want to be part of a new and vibrant labor movement in California and around the world, and we think that we can build it. I think it's really important that established unions also uh, honor the fact that drivers want want to lead our own organizations and we want to speak up for ourselves. And we've worked with several principal unions who agree with that. And that's been really, really helpful. I also want to say I think it's very important that the labor movement and the established unions be unified around this idea that this third category is basically Lyft and Uber's strategy to ensure that they profit more than they should be at the cost of communities. We have to be unified that you know, basic labor rights are how we are going to bring up any platform-based worker group, any industry that's platform-based, like drivers and delivery. And so I think that unity is really important. Now, we did not have that unity. Are you saying that the larger unions really should be opposing this third category if they really want to be effective in organizing gig workers? Yeah. And I'm really proud of that. I would say that we were not unified at the beginning of the fight for AB5. But through the fight and when drivers came out, and, you know, not just in L.A. and San Francisco and California, but around the world 
in uh, May of, of last year and said no to this model that Uber was moving. I think we really held, you know, everybody's feet to the fire, legislatures, established unions, and said, no, this is not right to treat us as second-class workers, and we're standing together. And I'm proud of the fact that labor in California is right now unified around this idea that labor rights for platform-based workers, app-based workers, is critical. Any other thing is just not going to help the workforce of America. Any of us can be app-based. On the other hand, you have the more militant unions, such as the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, that have been against Prop 22 from the very beginning. What are your thoughts on their approach to Prop 22? New York Taxi Workers Alliance, they've been around for a long time, and a couple of years ago, primarily represented taxi workers, right? And a couple of years ago, you know, they had a big you know, meeting with Uber, Lyft drivers, and taxi workers and decided to be unified for rights for all ride-hail workers in New York City. They're responsible for the fact that in New York City, they've won uh, $28 an hour minimum for all um, ride-hail, you know, platform-based ride-hail. Um, that's an incredible win. You know, after expenses, that gets most drivers in the city $17 to $18 an hour. Before that law passed, most drivers in New York City were making between $11 and $12 an hour. So um, New York Taxi Workers Alliance, I mean, like us, it's weather, picket signs, and, you know, they will fight, right? Um, I think there's another model there in New York City, which is a bad model, which is the Independent Drivers Guild, which is basically a company union. They have began and have continued with funding from Uber. And, you know, that's the model that the companies are putting forward right now is the right model. Judging from all of the organizing models you see out there, what is the best approach for California to fight back? Well, I think we should turn up every corner to see if Prop 22 is even valid. I don't know about the seventh, eighth requirement of the legislature in order to make any changes to the law. And it, it does concern me that this law is so draconian. It really ties our hands on many types of regulation and everything else. It doesn't seem like good policy as a law in general, especially since it's committing our state to keeping um, drivers and delivery workers under minimum wage. It just doesn't make sense. So I think that's one thing. But I think we have to continue to hold Lyft and Uber accountable. If the intent of their law was to make it better for drivers and delivery workers, which is what their advertising said, um, I think we have to show that it's going to make it worse because we have to do that work and expose them, especially as they try to march this law across the country in different um, other markets. So I think that's what we're going to do. But I think we're also going to work nationally to make sure that there are national laws that guarantee drivers and delivery workers who are platform-based the rights to basic labor law, um, including minimum wage, and the right to organize their own union. Well, thanks for joining the show. Thanks a lot. That was Rideshare Drivers United Union spokesperson Nicole Moore. She spoke with Digital Villages' Leilani Elbano. 
this is Rick Allen, continuing our coverage of Prop 22 and efforts to overcome its devastating effects on Uber and Lyft driver incomes. I spoke with Tyler Sandinus, union organizer for Rideshare Drivers United. He begins by telling us about the organization's latest multi-city demonstrations to win back worker protections. So the PRO Act, or the Protect the Right to Organize Act, is one of the most um, aggressively pro-union pieces of legislation in the past hundred years. Um, It really has a lot of stuff that really robusts the unionization process here in the United States, creates a bit of a less of a barrier for some folks to unionize. Um, But what's really important for rideshare drivers is that it allows folks who have been misclassified in the past, uh, like rideshare drivers, who are classified as independent contractors, it gives them the right to unionize like any other worker. So this is a really, really big deal for us, um, especially on the heels of Prop 22, which saw us transfer from having recognized employment status with the state of California to now being put into that lesser category of independent contractor through Prop 22. We did have rallies uh, this past week. It was uh, this past Tuesday. And it was with uh, all three of our chapters throughout the state. So we had folks actually protesting up in front of the old Uber building on Market Street in San Francisco. Um, And we had our sister chapter in San Diego protest in front of the state building in their downtown area. Um, And then the L.A. chapter uh, took the lead with uh, having a protest right in front of the Ronald Reagan building in downtown Los Angeles. The irony of the of the Ronald Reagan building, I get a kick out of. <laughs> it's it, yeah, you definitely feel like you're uh, protesting against forty years worth of something when you're in front of it. Exactly. And how did it go? Uh, it went well. Um, this was our first action since Prop Twenty Two, so uh, it was a bit like stretching our legs uh, after a long winter of trying to kind of figure out where do we go forward, what's the super important stuff that we need to be focused on. Um, I think it's important for your listeners to keep in mind that we're still in COVID, so folks are still not comfortable kind of being out in crowds right now. But given that this was our first action in quite a while, we're we're really excited to see a bunch of new leaders come in and and really starting to put the work into building our organization. Were there any uh, decisions about uh, just what you should uh, pinpoint uh, as far as going uh, forward in protecting uh, the right to organize? Yeah, so we see the PRO Act really as the natural next step for us as an organization. And what's really cool is that it's also something that's much bigger than us. Because although it does a lot for gig workers, it does a lot for for unions in general, who have, again, over the past 40 years, have had a government that has been very, either not really caring about them, or being actively hostile against them. And so it's really exciting to see Congress take this on. We know that it'll be an uphill fight in the Senate, um, but we also know that if things don't start changing, uh, there won't be a labor movement in, in 10 or 20 years. Um, there needs to be a reversal of 40 years worth of neoliberal policies that de-emphasized unions, defanged them, and allowed them to bleed dry. Um, there needs to be a reversal of that. There needs to be more protections because obviously the, all of the economic impacts we've seen over the past 40 years have resulted in the rich getting richer and people who are just trying to make it by 
finding it all the more difficult to, to live a dignified and, and good existence. I'm speaking with Tyler Sandness, union organizer for Rideshare Drivers United. Well, that leads to another question, that how good is your relationship with the larger unions? We try to ally ourselves with them as much as possible. Um, we have good relationships with the Transport Workers Union of America, and we are also starting to build good relationships with the Painters Union. Um, but we, we want to see more action on this. We understand that the AFL-CIO is only really starting to take this seriously. Um, we really think that there, there should be more effort thrown in this, especially because it is the future of the labor movement on the line with the PRO Act. So you're making strides in those areas? We, we'd like to think so. And, and honestly, it's, we like to envision ourselves as a bit of, of kind of the rebirth of the labor movement in some ways. In, in many ways, a lot of the unions are thinking in, in sort of a 20th century way when what we really need is labor law for the 21st century. And the gig economy is a perfect example of this. We are a class of workers that have no, none of the protections that labor unions have fought for over the past century. We create a dangerous precedent in our existence to other companies and other industries that are looking to reduce their labor costs by shrugging off their responsibility to payroll taxes, social security benefits, pensions, health care. And so we see that we, we really need unions as a whole, to really focus on the fact that they are coming for their members and they are coming for labor as a whole with these new styles of, of work classification. And unless we stop that here and now, and unless we start to put more effort and more emphasis on allowing people to unionize and making that process easier, it's going to be really difficult to imagine a strong labor movement 10, 20 years from now. Right. I don't know what the uh, status is now. I know in New York, the of all unions, the taxi cab uh, union mm-hmm. actually uh, joined Uber and Lyft union type movements to get twenty eight bucks an hour minimum, uh, which means that drivers will make about seventeen, uh, which is, yep. would be decent. Any chance of yep. uh, say uh, one of those uh, cities in uh, California uh, coming up with that kind of a deal? We're trying our best to, but one of the issues is that Prop 22 really does uh, kind of restrict the ability of local governments to regulate rideshare. Um, again, Prop 22 was really created as a, as a wish list from Lyft and Uber to try to figure out what were easy rules for them to meet, um, while at the same time trying to convince the California voter that it was a good idea. Um, but certain provisions within Prop 22 make it difficult for local cities to pass ordinances. They, there is a way to get local minimum wage up, um, but we've also seen that there are ways to subvert around it, and there's questions about uh, where does that minimum wage apply? Does it apply in the city that the worker actually lives in? Does it apply in the areas where they're operating in and therefore if they're working in like three or four different cities are they getting applied to three or four different minimum wages there's just a lot of different questions and a a lot of hamstringing that the companies have put up that that's going to make that difficult to fight on the local level so it seems like when they put together prop 22 they had learned their lesson from places like new york and that uh, the rideshare companies basically said okay here's something we're not going to let happen this time yeah 
And then they spent $200 million to then jam that down the public's throat and, and convince them that it was good for drivers while hiring actors who, who pretended to be drivers on television. It still drives me crazy that people watch a commercial and believe what it says. It's definitely made me. Uh, I, I'm somebody who generally believes in direct democracy. I, I believe in our, uh, uh, our referendum system here in California and our proposition system. But it's really hard to see it as fair if one side can just flood the market with money and, and have a much louder voice. In, in, a, in what should be a fair contest uh, for, for voters to really decide on what policy they want to adopt. Yeah, flood the market with money and lies. The other side of the coin was originally AB5, uh, the California law. Mm-hmm. It was kind of poorly written, which is why hairdressers and, and musicians mm-hmm. went, no, I'm, not, I, I'm voting for 2822 mm-hmm. because it brings back money that AB5 would have taken away from me. Which was tragic. Because uh, Prop 22 had nothing to do with hairdressers or other independent contractors. Right. Prop 22 was laser focused on the gig economy. It only cared about drivers in either rideshare or delivery. So a lot of folks who went out there to the polls and said that I'm going to vote for Prop 22 because I'm an independent contractor as a as a hairdresser or as a writer or as a theater professional. Um, Prop 22 did nothing for them. Um, but, but Lyft and Uber were all the more happy to, to like let on that that's what it was to, to get their vote because folks were frustrated with AB5. You also had, I think it was a virtual meeting, about EDD, unemployment insurance mm-hmm. payments for drivers. How did that go? Uh, that went well. Um, so since the pandemic started, uh, one of the things that we've really taken on as an organization is to act as an advocate for drivers in getting access to unemployment assistance. So under AB5, which went into effect on January 1st Mm -hmm. of 2020, and then was in effect for rideshare drivers up until uh, December 15th or 16th when Prop 22 officially took, um, took hold, drivers were entitled to receive unemployment insurance like any other employee in the state. But obviously, we were facing the same challenges as everybody else. EDD was a broken system in many ways, and they were not at all prepared to handle gig workers uh, when they were filing for legitimate claims. And so we have been working with drivers and acting as a go-between between the EDD office and our driver members to help people get access to unemployment insurance. And it's still been a difficult process for many. It's still not an ideal process. Lyft and Uber don't share the earnings information for drivers. So there are more hoops that have to be going. You have to like demonstrate your uh, work history and your earning history um, in a way that most workers don't have to because the state just has those records provided for them right. by, uh, by most employers. So who we were helping with that EVD meeting the other week were drivers that were still kind of caught up in that system and still frustrated because obviously they need that assistance to stay alive and be safe. Um, Rideshare is a really dangerous line of work to be in, especially during a pandemic where it's very easy to get the virus in a very closed setting. So we spent some time to, to help educate these folks 
Uh, we brought in a legal advocate that's just an expert on EVD and just kind of lay things out for folks so that they had a good sense of what did they need to do in order to get the benefits that, that they've worked really hard for and that frankly earned. And what has recent federal laws done uh, to support rideshare drivers? So the PUA from the uh, April, yeah, the April bill from last year, Mm -hmm. uh, during that first round of pandemic assistance, that was a big boost to a lot of rideshare drivers. But the unfortunate thing is that those benefits ran out at the end of July last year. And as we know, through the second half of that year, it, it was a lot of hemming and hawing and Congress really being kind of frozen solid on getting relief out to people. And we we are hopeful that, as far as I'm aware, I haven't read through the whole of the uh, American Rescue Plan myself, but I haven't seen a boost to the PUA program, but I could be wrong about that. If it's not there, then it's it's a bit of a disappointment because obviously PUA was an easier system for drivers to get into. But without an increase to those benefits, it means that a lot of drivers are, are kind of left out in the cold as other Americans receive those benefits. Well, I, I have heard that there is money in there for gig workers, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. the specifics are still uh, mysteriously uh, not being broadcast. Yeah. So uh, if, if it's in there, um, it's, it's much appreciated. Um, we know that the $1.9 trillion is supposed to be very broadly distributed around the economy. And so if it is in there, it is something that's going to help a lot of people. We just haven't heard it on the ground yet. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to end on a relatively positive note, Tyler. Uh, you, you want to tell everybody what organization you work for and how? Absolutely. I'm a Lyft driver and organizer with Rideshare Drivers United. Uh, helping to build one of the biggest organization of gig economy workers here in the Western United States. And uh, you can learn more about us and our mission at drivers-united.org. Thanks again, Tyler. It's great speaking with you again, and all the best. My pleasure, Rick. That was Tyler Sandness, union organizer for Rideshare Drivers United. I'm Rick Allen for Digital Village. That's it for this version of Digital Village. You can hear us on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. Thanks for listening, and we'll see See you you online. online.